Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of CrossCast. My name is Chad Barlow. This is a podcast where we talk about being disciples and making disciples for the glory of God and the joy of his people. Today, I'm so excited. I've been so excited about all these podcasts, to be honest, but so excited to have my really good friend, Beck Easton, on today. Beck, thanks for being on here. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's great to see you. Beck and I... um, have been sharing an office at the Crossing Church building for the last couple months. Beck is, uh, I'll, I'll let him tell you what he's doing now, but his job basically closed a few months ago, and so he started using the Crossing uh, as, a, as an office, and so do I. So we've been getting to hang out a lot and have great chats. So Beck, as with all the podcasts, the first thing is I would like to hear a three to five minute testimony about yourself. Let us know you a little bit more and how you came to believe Jesus is Lord, Savior, King, and treasure. And then after that, tell us some fun, interesting fact about yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, I'm really pumped to be here because I am such a podcast enthusiast. And now I can check this off the old list of something I've I've gotten, gotten to do. Uh, I'm a Colorado boy. Yeah, yeah. Was uh, born in Pueblo, Colorado, 719 P-Town, and uh, had kind of like a beaver cleaver uh, childhood. My mom wore pearls and wrote notes on her napkins, and she had a successful business, and my dad was a college professor, and um, we were members at the country club, and things went pretty well. And <clears throat> there was a moment in my life when, as a young child, my parents got divorced. And it was a seminal moment, as it is for many people. Uh, but there was this key understanding that I had never held before that came out of that divorce uh, when I realized that my parents weren't being exactly honest about who we were and who they were. Uh, I thought they were deeply in love. As a child, you know, like many children do, I thought there were no problems. Mm. The reality is my parents struggled with substance abuse of one kind or another. Um, They had infidelity in their life and hatred in their heart and separated in a pretty dramatic and unbecoming way. Mm. I think many people who uh, get divorced, who have children that are, I don't know, five or more, would say their kids would say something similar. It was very impactful on them. But I learned a lesson in that time of my life. It was as long as you can keep the powers that be happy or the presentation seems correct or uh, palatable, you can kind of do whatever you want, uh, which, as you know, is like the definition of hypocrisy. You wear the mask on the stage. So I lived my youth in in that fashion. I was like a student government kid. I was an athlete. Um, I said, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, please and thank you. (laughs) I combed my hair. But in my heart, there was like a deeper well of pain and anger and deviance that had never been there before as a child. My sin nature obviously was there, but... It just hadn't been defined in such a clear way. By the time I got to high school, it was pretty rampant. I was living two distinct lives. Mm. Uh, I remember at one time I was awarded at a basketball game for a 
some sort of a, a, a plaque given to me for sportsmanship and accountability within the school. After the game, the plaque is in my gym bag and I am selling drugs in the darkened parking lot of my high school to a single mom who lived down the street. Wow. It was the definition of hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. I wanted to please my dad. I wanted to be good at sports. Uh, and then I wanted to really do whatever I wanted, which mostly would be summarized as like, how hard can I push? How hard can I push it? You know, how far can I go down this dark, dark hole? When I went to college, I came to CSU to play football. I had no recollection of the Lord. We were nominal Catholics at best and uh, really no more than that. I, 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 I try to think back what my real viewpoints were on religion, specifically on God and God of the Bible. I, I remember speaking about it a time or two in my upbringing, but I, I really don't know. It was so loosely held in my hand. I think I was just regurgitating opinions of other people that I had heard. In college, the same life was going on, but it, it got magnified by, uh, man, like magnitudes of 10. Mm. Uh, my sin got bigger and darker and scarier, and my act got more refined and better suitable for coaches. I would show up. I would say yes or no, sir, to coaches. I would work really hard. I would manage my diet. I would never go to class. I would lie 500 times a day to keep everybody in, in, in tune. Hmm. And I was partying and living a debaucherous lifestyle, one kind or another. And there was a moment in time when those two worlds collided together. I walked onto the stage and realized I didn't have my mask, so to speak. And it was, it was like a real rock bottom moment. I got in a bad fight, uh, such a bad fight that there was going to be criminal repercussions and, and, uh, the world that I was trying to protect from my hidden sin was going to find out. I couldn't hide the gash on my head or the broken eye socket that I received, anything like that. So my dad found out and started looking into grades and other things. The coaches found out and said that I had had really bad anger issues the whole time. I was kind of a kid from Pueblo with a chip Chip on on my shoulder. shoulder. Yeah, really. And so I had to, to leave the team. My whole world came crumbling down. All the while I'm in college, there's a couple athletes who are intriguing to me. And I kind of looked up to them. They're really good athletes or at, in our sport. They're really good athletes, but they're good people. But they're not, they're not hokey either. It was this interesting mix that I had never seen before growing up. They were inviting me to Bible studies and things like Athletes in Action and FCA and introducing me to new people. And at first I was really hesitant. I didn't want anything to do with it. In fact, the first time I was invited to our chaplain's house for a Bible study, I was kicking and screaming. They like physically carried me mm-hmm. <laughs> into the back of a truck. I'm spitting and hollering all the way there. Once I got there, I realized there's free food. I can just listen to this guy talk and this will be my next hustle. It's a badge <laughs> on my chest to say, oh, I attend Bible study. But all the while, it's like, it's a free meal. This is perfect. Um, anyway, uh, back to the night when I was really in that bad fight. I 
<laughs> I slipped in Corbett Hall uh, in the parking lot there. It was in the middle of the winter. We were still up at CSU for a football game and gave my life to the Lord right there at the cold parking lot. And it was such a dramatic and immediate transformation. I remember calling um, the director of FCA or AIA at the time named Jeff Pryor and telling him that I didn't know the difference between the Bible and the word. I, I was under the assumption that there was two books I was supposed to have, but I only had one. <laughs> I knew nothing of the scripture, but I knew something had dramatically happened to me. And so uh, to to further that uh, down the road a little farther, I went to UNC to finish up my playing career and was really, as they would say, on fire for the Lord and found a great group of Christian men on the team that I lived with and grew and um, graduated and moved back to Fort Collins to pursue a life of ministry, uh, really sourced out of that one moment when when everything kind of switched. So, yeah, I, I guess in a, in a quick nutshell, that's my story. There are very few interesting things about me. I am uh, pretty average in many ways. I would say I've had a uh, abnormal amount of surgeries in my life. How many? I've had almost 30 surgeries. Wow. Um, now, some are really minor procedures. Some are pretty large ones, uh, but I, I had some, I had been in an injury at UNC that ended my career playing football where I ruptured my kidney and bladder. And, um, as a result of that, there was a series of procedures that had to, uh, commence in order for me to try to keep my kidney. Did you get hit in the back or what? Yeah. In oh, a practice. Man. <laughs> it was really good though, because the kid who hit me, uh, really gave his life to the Lord and his, is living in Georgia now and doing good things. So it's awesome. <laughs> it was a worthy sacrifice. <laughs> um, yeah. So I've, I'm not afraid of the old surgery table. Mm -hmm. Had reconstructive ankle surgery and four knee surgeries and face surgery. And I've had, I've been cut on it. I can tell times. you've had face surgery for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they keep messing it up. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Okay, thank you. That's interesting. That counts. That one, I'm not going to make barely. you do another one. Yeah, no, that's pretty interesting. Um, we do have a theme today, but we're gonna we're gonna pause again really quick. Just just let's talk for a few minutes about the fact that for the first time in 11 weeks this past Sunday we gathered and worshipped together. Yeah. How how was that for you and your family? How was your heart? It was, um, it was a, a pivotal moment, really. It was like the hinge of a door. There's something had, had been stapled into the ground, both theologically confirming in my own heart, uh, but also confirming for me that I, that I do, in fact, love the body. We say stuff like that all the time. Mm -hmm. But if I've learned anything from this crisis and... and all the repercussions of it. I, I, I have said for years that I love the church and it's about the church and we should be together. And at first there was some novelty to the virus being home with my family. And the first time I've ever watched a sermon online in my life, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, on a Sunday morning. Anyway, there was some, it was kind of fun at first, 
but it became readily apparent that there is something specifically um, designed by the Lord when his people gather together in the sense of proximity. Now, I want to be clear. I have no problem with doing the social thing, uh, making a social decision to best love our community by adhering to restrictions set forth by the governor. And I also want to say that I don't think it was a hindrance of our rights or a persecution against the church per se. As we've seen persecution historically, there's no comparison. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've dealt with plagues before in church history, and there have been times when the church could not meet physically. It is not a persecution every time you can't get together per se, but it is not ideal. And I do think it had... It has confirmed some stuff in my heart theologically that the idea of that we can be together, though we aren't physically together, it, 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 so to speak, checks the box of like getting the church being together done. I would argue that there is something significant and, um, dare I say, even supernatural Amen. to the idea of being in proximity. The picture that I've like thought about just for preaching and other reasons, it's like a fire when you have a bunch of kindling together, the heat kind of plays off of each other. Mm-hmm. When, you sp- when you spread those pieces out, though they are individually hot, they begin to cool at a much more accelerated rate because they're not together. Amen. And I realized, even though we were six feet apart and it was kind of awkward and we were wearing masks and all the inconveniences of... Uh, what we still aren't allowed to do, being together has a serious impact. Specifically, I don't know what you thought about this, but in worship. In singing. Yeah, it, yeah in specifically worship. in singing. Jesus That's a, Juke, I'm sorry. No, I like that one. <laughs> but the idea that like, in many churches we turn the lights off, we close our eyes... I have, I'm not really saying that's necessarily the, the worst thing to do. But it does put you in a position where you are thinking about yourself and your Lord. Mm-hmm. Being together with the lights on and having been apart for so long, I couldn't help but look around the room. And there's a deep encouragement that comes from other people feeling the same way about being in the room that I'm feeling about totally being in the room. Agree. It's like, I, wanna, I want to sing in worship to my Lord all the more passionately, whether that means louder or intimately or whatever. Because he's good, because he saved me, because um, uh, there is a, a command to worship in the earth, but also because my brother right next to me is doing the same thing. I totally agree, dude, 100%. I, like, I just love when I look over at you or Smitty or anyone else and who, who I can just see is worshiping the Lord with all their heart, something in me, more worship rises in me. That it's just, that doesn't happen. Alone. Yeah. And I, I would say, like, there's a lot of commentary and articles being written right now because of the season we're in around the uh, Hebrews 10 passage where it talks about not forsaking the gathering, mm-hmm. the brother, uh, the ecclesia. I don't want to be so haughty in our theology and our reference to context, though that is supremely important that we forget to just look around the room 
and say, this is important because I can see it. You know, it, it, it's defined in Scripture, in my opinion, rather clearly. We need to be together. Acts 2, which is a different time, and it's the birth of the church, and there are distinct differences in that moment. But there was something about the saved individual that had a desire to gather together, mm-hmm. to be physically together. And I, I think that that's important enough that it shouldn't be overlooked. Uh, and it was evident to me in a new way on um, on Sunday. Yeah. So, yeah, I thought it was great. I want to do it again. <laughs> Guess what? We are on Sunday. <laughs> I know. I won't be there. I'll be camping. What was I thinking? Gosh. <laughs> I told my wife I'm preaching in a, in a couple of days or a couple of weeks. And we were in the car, and I was like, I think I have my introduction joke, which I'm about to blow right now, so I can't use it. Yeah, don't, no, no. <laughs> she was like, what is it? I was like, well, not that you need an introduction joke. But the masks just became annoying. They, like, I, we wore them, and we were diligent with it, and I yeah. didn't want to take it off. But it doesn't mean that it wasn't like frustrating at times. The only person in the room that didn't have to wear a mask was the person that was preaching. So it seems just natural to me to be like, this mask is annoying. Put me up front. (laughs) (laughs) Your dreams are going to come true in two weeks. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I'm really excited about that, man. I'll be praying for you. I've heard you preach because I've listened online and I've I've talked with you a lot. So I think our bodies, to our listeners, you should be excited to hear Beck preach in two weeks. And I get to do the call to worship that day. Oh, do you? So me and you are just up front that day, man. I didn't. I didn't even know that. Heck I yeah, just dude. got more excited. Heck yeah! No, it'll be great. So I'm gonna try to think of something to embarrass you really bad. I'm kidding. I won't. It's easy. <laughs> just look at me. <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing. This guy's had 27 surgeries on his face, <laughs> <laughs> and we're not done. Oh man, this is good. See, this is what happens. You know, when when two friends just talk about things they're passionate about. We're already like halfway through, and we still we haven't even really started talking about the theme of this podcast. So. Either this may be a little bit of a longer one, or we'll do part two next week. We'll see where the Lord leads. You are the captain, my captain. (laughs) I just say my final thing about Sunday. I was crying. That first song, Bless the Lord, 10,000 Reasons. And for the first time in 11 weeks, I was thankful for the mask because it was soaking up all the tears. So I wasn't (laughs) having to wipe them away. And I was like, hey, there's one perk about having a mask. It's soaking up all my tears. I was in the same boat. Yeah. There's something... Even more unifying than the spirit. Nothing is more unifying than the spirit, but it's just (laughs) confirming. I was feeling the same way you were feeling. Aaron was feeling the same way we were feeling. Daniel, Mm -hmm. we're in the room singing the same song, feeling the exact same way, which is an abundance of gratitude for the Lord, our Savior, Mm -hmm. that even through this trial, he is still good and worthy of praise. Amen. So that's great. Worthy of praise. Okay. So, Beck, what I want to talk to you about today, a, a way that you really have always inspired me. Wait a minute. We didn't tell people how we met. I didn't do that in all the podcasts, but really quick, everyone, Beck and I actually go back to before when we both joined The Crossing around the same time a year and a half ago. I think it was my first year back in Fort Collins in 2014, the head coach, the head track coach at Fossil Ridge High School, Pat Williams. I think you heard about me through Travis Smith, Jason Smith's yep. younger brother, and just said, you know, there's a, there's a new, new guy in town. He, he ran track at a high level, and maybe we could get him to high coach. level. I'm just going to say it because he's not going to. Our friend Chad Barlow ran 
at one of the most prestigious track schools in the world. Uh, he was an Oregon Duck, which is Nike Town USA, and has produced as many Olympians as any other institution. And he ran right alongside them. Also, he's a national champion. He'll never tell you those things. So, just for the record. Thanks, dude. So um, I can't even win my fantasy league. He's a national <laughs> champion. It was on a relay, and I rode coattails. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, um, yeah, so Beck was the throws coach there, yep. and I was just helping coach sprints. So, so we go back six years now. Yeah. So anyways, um, Beck, though, you guys, is like one of the most um, – gifted men I've met with regards to viewing all of life as ministry. Um, I've said that before as I've preached and led uh, devotions and, you know, most everyone who listens to this podcast is going to be a Christian and knows that, knows that even if you're not called to vocational ministry, you're called to ministry. We're all ambassadors of reconciliation, God making his appeal through us. But, um, Beck was, uh, has been a pastor at another church in town for a long time. And they had this really cool philosophy of like, even if you're here vocationally, we want you to work outside the church. And now Beck is, um, working for a school. I'm being vague cause I want you to tell us more about what you're sure. doing right now. But, um, as Beck and I have shared an office for the last 10 weeks and he's having all these zoom calls with students, the man is bold and he views his job at this school as his ministry, not just as his job, but like this is the place God has called me to be an ambassador of reconciliation. And it's super inspiring, man. I'm not just saying that. Like, I'm like, man, I need to, even though I feel a call to vocational ministry and right now I'm in it, you know, all of my life should be ministry. And so should every other Christian. So, um, would you just tell us a little bit of your background in ministry and what you're doing right now for work since I keep being vague and then yeah. I can be specific. <laughs> I graduated uh, in 2010 from University of Northern Colorado, Go Bears, and moved immediately over to a church in Fort Collins to begin the ministry process. I uh, started off with middle school and then it was high school and middle school and then it was middle school, high school and college and then it was all youth, and then I became the teaching pastor at that church for uh, about three and a half years. And uh, it was an incredibly formative time, but the church didn't have a lot of money, and so you had to kind of find ways to work, which was hard because when I was you know, being a janitor or coaching or whatever I was doing, I've had a million jobs. <laughs> I was always thinking about the work at the church and uh, one of the pastors there is an influential man in my life he he kind of put this idea in my mind that uh, we have to be careful when we talk about the distinction between vocational ministry and non-vocational ministry there's no real scriptural basis per for that per se there is a, a a clear order of running the church and I believe that those ministers, those people called to those positions should be paid. Mm -hmm. But the Great Commission pretty much pigeonholes every believer to full-time ministry. You are to do what the Lord has commanded us to do in making disciples, baptizing them in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and go, lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age, wherever you are. Yeah. 
and, and it really was a, a table turning experience for me because I found that I wasn't just doing ministry and then working. I was exercising my growth and sanctification process and what I was learning in my heart to be a minister all day long. And so I think that there's a, a real limitation we put on ourselves when we use the idea of like vocational ministry and not, not that you necessarily did that because it does two things. One, it puts a ton of pressure on those who are getting paid to the, do the ministry for all people. Mm-hmm. And it, and it takes a bunch of people off the hook of which they are not off the hook. Totally. To, to be witnesses in the earth. And I want to be clear. There's no, this isn't under condemnation or a burden we're talking about a heavenly reward that the Lord is placing for us. Um, the, this, this living by faith has a, a payday associated with it that goes beyond salvation. Now, salvation is the it, and heaven is going to be extraordinary. But the scripture is clear that those who are doing the work of the Lord, good works as the scripture would define it, he's, he's clear in saying, there's a benefit to these things mm-hmm. for you because it's a benefit to me. Storing up treasures in heaven. That's exactly right. And so I see when someone becomes a Christian, they are, are redeemed. They are given gifts. The scripture says that when you receive the Holy Spirit, you're given gifts. Yeah. Those gifts need to be exercised in what I would define as your social environment. We would say here at the crossing where you live, work and play, mm-hmm. but you gotta, you gotta work on that <laughs> mm-hmm. and to do that, you need practice. And so, uh, when I stepped down from the church ministry, I was stepping down to pursue a job that was created at a school in town called Fossil Ridge high school, uh, where I'm now the director of sports performance. They did not have a position like that. I've been a coach in that school for a long time. And we saw a need for this position, and I was so adamant about what this position should look like. Mm-hmm. They ended up taking me, taking me off the hiring committee, and giving me the job. <laughs> but for me, I've seen it as a mission field. Yep, it is an opportunity to express my equipping to to whoever I come in contact with there. What's your title again? Director of sports. Director of sports performance. Performance. So you. Just clarifying for me and for our listeners, sure. you, you are like the strength and conditioning coach for all of the sports. You write you you write the workout programs. Yeah, the, so at least within the weight room for all the the sports. Athletes. I have a series of classes. I teach athletic weights, uh, but the mission is really to help create um, a developmental pathway for the whole athlete. So mentally, which includes psychologically, physically and spiritually. So how you feel, how you think, and uh, how you behave are the aspects that I think can be manipulated uh, with oversight and coaching. And so I'm also the head track coach there, but really I do the same thing um, on on the track as I do in the weight room. Are you afraid, this is a random question I did not forewarn you about. No problem. Are you afraid uh, of getting fired for being like kind of just open about your faith and spirituality. Like I could just see a public school, like not even liking that you use the word spiritual, let alone Christian. 
Has there is there a fear of that, or has there been yeah. any pushback yet? There has been. I mean, people have said they're going to sue me and oh, wow. other things. Uh, part of that's just the the nature of the school that I'm in. Yeah. Everyone's going to have their own shortcomings and difficulties. Uh, I would say there's definitely an art to navigating how to culturally be bold and not be um, just turned off. See, we see this idea that Paul was an apostle and he was imprisoned. And so I'll be more like Paul if I'm thrown in prison. Well, if there was a stance that I needed to take that recall, required me to go to prison, I believe I would take that stance. I, I would be, in, hopefully by faith, I would do that in my dependence on the Lord. But it is not my mission to make such a fuss that I go to jail or get fired. Totally, yeah. So there's an art to this uh, whole thing as well. And the art is really rooted in relationship development. Okay? I talk as often as I can and as much as I can to everybody, to janitors, to secretaries, to administration, to kids. In my conversations, I fully believe that if you talk to me long enough about anything, we are going to end up at the gospel. Now, not all conversations end up speaking deliberately or specifically about the gospel, but if they would have carried on any further, they probably would have. When I begin to have conversations with people, eventually we hit that gospel touch point. They know a little bit more about me, but I'm not forcing an issue. They had the conversation. Mm -hmm. This allows this natural pathway for people. When relationships are developed in that kind of, I call it playing the long game, I have enough equity with administration. They've seen me in my heart that when something comes up from a parent or a kid, in fact, who would be the people that could fire me or be against me tend to be my biggest offenders because I've sat in their office and cried with them too. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the mission is to the school and all of its participants, not just the kids. Yeah, And I think that's really been helpful. I've made a million mistakes. I mean, I remember when I first got into youth ministry, I went to Rocky Mountain High School on the first day of school with a folding table and like six dozen donuts. And I set up in the entryway and started handing donuts out to kids. I didn't know any better. I didn't know how to do it. Yeah. Well, the principal <laughs> comes out and he's like, what are you doing? This, this cop is kind of escorting me off of the, off of the property. And I'm, a little rough around the edges still, so I'm kind of combative. Like, what do you mean what I'm doing? I'm trying to help kids. You want to take somebody off this parking lot who's trying to help kids? And the principal looked at me, and he goes, son, you're giving candy to kids, and I don't know you. <laughs> and it, like, dawned on like, me, like, oh, man, I'm a creep. <laughs> and I didn't know it. And so there's a way where you can try to, like, be on mission, but you're, you just look like a creep. And then there's an art that's learned and refined and... You make a mistake and you get better where you learn how to to kind of balance that out. That's really good, man. And that, that you already answered one of my questions was just going to be like some practical advice for people who who don't feel like they're gifted evangelists. Sometimes I feel like we can hide behind that, you know, because you, you mentioned gifts earlier. It's like, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, really. But Beck does. So he's going to be the evangelist. And then like, yes, you're gifted in it. Smitty's gifted in it. So I don't know. A lot of other people in our body are. 
I wouldn't say I'm super gifted in it. But well, the reality funny. is we can't hide behind that just because we don't have the gift. And, and a practical encouragement from you for us is the art of building relationship. Anyone can do that. We're all called to do that to, as we love our neighbors to build relationship with them. And we don't have to be afraid that every conversation has to lead to a gospel presentation, but hopefully that every conversation would lead to having a gospel conversation. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you. I I don't believe I'm that gifted in evangelism. Like, it's not high on my priority list. It's not something that I would say necessarily I'm super passionate about. I don't know, honestly, if I've read a book about evangelism in my ministry life. I believe the Lord cares for people, and he's asked me to do the same. And when I think about the gospel in my own life and how much he cared for me when I was rejecting him, it doesn't seem like that big of a leap to just really care for people that may never care for you back. Love by its nature is courageous, but courage by its nature is a, is a sense of vulnerability. And so I think really people get risked or they get scared when they talk about evangelizing because of the exposure and potential harm that could come of them. It's, it's vulnerable. Fear of rejection. Yeah, there's yeah. a million of them. Yeah. But that's what l- love is vulnerable. Yeah. And as a result, it's courageous. And so I would say that you're watching what I'm doing and you're thinking, wow, this guy is bold and courageous and he's an evangelist. I am having the conversation and not feeling that way internally at all. I'm like, I hope I'm not being a creep right now, Handy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Or it's like, Lord, you've loved me. Just yep. let that be enough wind in my sails to get this last like thing out. Yeah. The That's only other good. practical advice that I think it, that I hold to so firmly in moments when I'm having these conversations is the idea that I see in scripture, this thread that the gospel is placed in every um, verse in scripture. There's a, a Christocentric view of reading your Bible where you begin to see God in every passage. And I've begun to just start to see the gospel in every story. So like the widow and its oil in second Kings chapter four, here's a story of a woman who has nothing. She's rejected. She puts this dependence on a man of God. And the, in order for her to get something she could have never had before, she has to lay down the very thing that she believes she has left. She gave all of what she had, though it wasn't very much. And in return, she got back much more. The gospel asks us to lay down our little lives in exchange for something far greater. Mm-hmm. It's the gospel. Yeah, I see the... Oh man, sorry, I'm getting kind of emotional. I get to see those stories in the scripture all the time and they bring a sense of, of connection to the Bible. Like, man, that's me. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, uh, King David is Saul leaves, obviously gets run out of town after everything happens. He has a son who was dropped as a baby. He can't walk. He's sort of this forgotten lost remnant of the old group in charge. Mm-hmm. David has this, recanting or this this idea that we need to honor Saul in some way is there anything I can do or anybody I can help and it it comes to him 
that there is a person who is of the bloodline who's still in this town and now he was a king but is like a peasant and so what does king david do he puts the person who could not walk who could not defend themselves at this at gives him a seat at the table with the king mm-hmm. that is my that's my story mm-hmm. and i see similar stories where i see the gospel in every part of my day in the way athletes help each other or whatever else finding those moments and being able to just point that story out to other students or teachers mm-hmm. tells them a little bit about you you're looking for the gospel but also shows the light of the grace of God and that it's, it's applicable to every part of our life, not just Sunday morning. Yeah. So that's another thing I think could be really helpful. Yeah. Amen. Will you tell us, uh, tell the listeners, I know about it. I've even joined you for one, but will you tell us a little bit more about your family dinner night? I think that's just a really practical way you're yeah. seeking to build relationship and have gospel conversations. Sure. Yeah. Um, my like little toolkit for, student athletes uh, specifically is like the group I can reach is finding a way to get them out of the coach athlete relationship and food as you heard from my testimony was like a big attraction to me Mm -hmm. (laughs) and so what we do is I tell the athletes there's no pressure I'll never take attendance nothing gets to change about our relationship whether or not you come but I believe that people need other people and if you don't have a group where we can talk about anything with other people, I'm going to offer that group to you. And so every other week, well, we haven't because of the crisis, but when when it loosens up again, we'll start up. Uh, I invite student athletes to my house for a meal. We play games. We have like a little Bible study typically, but sometimes we don't. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the whole time is Bible study. <laughs> What I'm looking for, though, is the gathering of people. And then I ask the Lord to just help me find a heart for one individual where I can build in that relationship. Remember, I'm playing the long game with all of them. Yeah. And I find them in the kitchen or sitting on the couch or we're at a break in between a game and dinner or something. And we just start asking questions. I often tell one kid, hey, come do the dishes with me. And I get five-minute window to... Talk to a kid about stuff he wants to talk about or I want to talk about, but he's not a coach and I'm not an athlete. Wait, I'm not a coach and yeah. he's not an athlete. <laughs> and we get to just be people. People. Yeah. And I think that there's real equity in kind of what's built in that time. So yeah. it's really helpful. It's really cool. Everyone, I went to one night and uh, just kind of babysat your kids so you could be freed up to yeah. <laughs> to love on them and teach. And it's cool to see a bunch of students in your home sharing a meal, just being friends. So, yeah. I mean, what, what a, you know, great idea for our people in our body who, you know, work at different places like, Hey, you know, coworkers kind of want to have you guys over for dinner next month, you know, third Friday. Does that work for you guys? And, yeah. you know, who knows, maybe that becomes a, it doesn't have to become a weekly or a bi-weekly thing or a monthly thing, even just seeking to build relationships. And I really love that idea of having the mindset of the long game, you know? Yeah, you really got to have that idea that this conversation, we may be talking about tacos. Lord, I trust you that eventually it's going to get to the gospel mm-hmm. and I'm going to carry it on. 
until it does. I think sometimes we get awkward, you know, like the candy to kids thing, when we feel like our first interaction has to include a gospel presentation, not even just a conversation, but a presentation. And that's when we start like fumbling over our words and being awkward. And you're like, you know, that that piece of broccoli really reminds me of the cross. Can I tell you about the cross of Jesus Christ? And then they're like, oh my gosh. I think there's there's times when that conversation just needs to happen. Yeah, I had one just totally. yesterday, training with kids. Kids skipped a rep, and we talked about honor before we started practice. Mm. And I had to get on. I'm like, man, yeah. that is not honorable. You said you would do something, yeah. and then you didn't do it. Yeah. Do you believe in your soul that your yes can actually mean yes? We have a gospel conversation kind of right right yeah. there. But you're exactly right. When you When you force it, people can tell from a mile away that you have an agenda. And the truth is, you shouldn't have an agenda. God has an agenda. I'm here to serve and love them the way he loved me. And that agenda is coming because the Lord of creation said so, not because I can maneuver and manipulate somebody to think what I want to think. Yeah, amen. It's a good word. Well, we're um, running out of time here. Um, I'll just offer a final short word from me and then you can give us some final encouragements sure um just i'm just super inspired by you man and other people in our body who have this this mindset and just would encourage people to just remember you know may, uh, praying prayed before this podcast with beck that this is one of the main ways the lord would use this podcast in your life is just to wherever you work if you're not getting paid by the church and work for the church in vocational paid ministry, um, like Beck said, you're still, you still have the same calling on your life as Aaron Santini and Daniel Smith and, and Rich Gardner, uh, yeah, to be right. a minister wherever you're at and think about ways that you can build relationship and, and love people with, with the agenda of, I'm going to love you in the name of Jesus and play the long game and hope that maybe after you know, years of relationship when you're in a crisis or even just years of relationship and you're not in a crisis that the gospel will, will come through in conversations. So thanks, man. This has been great for me. You get the final word and then we can say bye-bye. Yeah. I I would say, um, the only thing like Lindsay and I, my wife have had to really work on, um, when you're, when you're talking about stepping out to reach other people for the gospel, and we're, we, we talk about playing the long game. We need to be prepared on the front end for the whole load. What I mean by that is having conversations with somebody, but limiting yourself to saying, I'm only willing to have conversations with this person kind of limits what the Lord may want to do to that person and using you as a servant to it. So when you seek somebody out or there's a relationship that really starts to develop and go down that way, prepare for all that love has to provide and the sacrifices that those require. And, and all of a sudden, when, you, when you're willing to do anything, anything to, to serve that person within reason of the scripture, you see that you're really demonstrating that laid down sacrifice life for the Lord. If someone needs to move into your basement, be prepared for that even months before they would ever ask. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you're going to swing and they're going to totally reject you and miss. That's okay. You know, someone can fire you, but don't quit on them. Yeah. And as a result, I think the gospel's really displayed in a great way.
regardless of how far it goes. Amen. Time flies when you're having fun and talking to a good friend. So <laughs> probably gonna have to talk have, like I can talk. Have to have you on again soon. Everyone, thanks for listening again. I really hope um, every time I hope these podcasts are encouraging, challenging, convicting. Um, as you, as we sign off here, just remember the good news, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. He's loved us with such great love, and we can go out and and love our Christians, brothers and sisters, with that love, and then people where we live, work, and play. Let's go do it for the glory of God and the joy of his people. See you guys next week.